studied hard and I've been acing all my classes. Got laser surgery corrected all my glasses. Been pumping iron 30 hours a week, improving on my physique so I can kick all of your asses. Did all the dishes and I cleaned out all the closets. I mowed the lawn and tightened all the leaky faucets. Got liposuction on my cows and my gut, my face, my arms and my butt, removing my fatty deposits. I feel revitalized, performance optimized, perfection realized. My body's mobilized, my mind is digitized, my look accessorized. Hey there, everyone. My name is Jordan D. White, and welcome to Cast in Wax, the first episode, uh, actual episode, of the Waxwork.com podcast. Uh, as I said, I'm Jordan D. White. I'm going to be your main host, but with me, of course, are my three other co-hosts. Ah, uh, yes, hello. Um, let me introduce everybody. First, as I said myself, I am Jordan D. White. I live in Queens, New York with my lovely wife, Devin, and our two cats. And I work as an assistant editor at Marvel Comics. Um, but that, of course, has nothing to do with what we do here. This is a totally separate project. I'm going to be presenting all these radio serials that we did uh, in Binghamton, New York, before we moved to Queens. And hopefully you'll enjoy them. Next up is Frank Allen. Why don't you introduce yourself, Frank? Hello. Uh, Frank Allen. I am a... Host by profession, by trade. Uh, I hosted two of the shows you're going to be hearing, uh, Tractor Fiction and Debatatorium. I also plan to host some interviews here over the course of the podcast, but I'm really just biding my time until I, until I get my big break. Once I get an actual job in national radio, I will probably, you know. Just, just leave us out hanging out to dry? Well, I wouldn't put it like that. No, you wouldn't, would you? You'd just say, oh, you'd say, oh, you're going on to bigger and better things, well, right? Well, I might. Yeah, I might say that. And, and leaving the small, smaller, worser things like us. No, no, no. You're, you're making it sound like I'm some sort of greedy, self- Self-centered person. That's funny that you would say that because that's what I was thinking, actually. Well, you shouldn't think that because- Frank, I don't understand what you think you're, you're trying to say, but you're saying it all wrong. You're going to leave us all behind because you don't, you don't appreciate us anymore. Well, no, no, come on. What? I'm sure if you guys got your breaks, you'd go on to other things. Well, I already got my break. Oh, uh, let me introduce, uh, this is Rory Sinjin who is uh, British, and he is a historian, correct? Yes, I am an historian. I, uh, I'm i no longer British, though. I was born in, in Britain, of course, but I am an American. I'm a naturalized citizen, and I am an historian. I, I work at the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies, where I do currently have a grant of funding to research... To research a bunch of nonsense. I mean, that's different. You know, you know, it's not a real break. Well, actually, it is a real break. It's exactly what I was going for. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, but... It it doesn't make any sense. It's a research grant. I do research into history. Into fake history, into bogus history. Tell, why don't you tell them? Tell them all. Tell them how you do your historical no, studies. No, no, we we'll talk about... We can get to the historical studies probably on a, on a later podcast uh, when we can talk to, to Rory more in depth. But that's Rory. And of course, our final host is uh, my cat, Scape. He's a little gray cat. He lives in the place where the podcast is recorded, so he is probably going to stick around and comment on things. Why don't you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I guess so. Um, my name's Scaby. I am a cat, as he said. I'm gray, as he said. I'm very, uh, cool, and I have a really good singing voice. Um, and I'm a good actor. You'll hear me on a couple shows later. Um, what else, what else? Uh, okay, Scape, thank you. Well, that's all you've got to say. No, 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 I will think of something. I will think of something else. Um... Oh, I like to eat moist food and treats. So, if you want to give me some, you could. Okay, okay. I think I think we're getting off the topic, though. We're gonna uh, we're gonna work on this show. We're gonna talk about the show for a second. So, on this episode of the show, we've got three uh, first episodes, three first episodes of three different serials. Now, I should point out these aren't going to be airing on this podcast in chronological order, as in uh, as in the date they first premiered. Because the first one we're going to listen to is Guard Duty, and Guard Duty was not the first show that we did, but it is a it is the first. episode 
episode of Guard Duty, and it's a you know it's a fun one. Are you going to tell them what Guard Duty is about? Yeah, I'm going to tell them what Guard Duty is about. I know how to do my job. Could afford me. Oh yeah, thanks. <laughs> anyway, Guard Duty is about uh, a group of heroes called the Earth Guard, and as they're paired off on Guard Duty, watching for emergencies, these scenes take place. This is the very first episode featuring the Jack and Dr. Fast. Hopefully you guys will all enjoy it. It's the very first radio serial that we pre-recorded for the show, Welcome to the Waxwork, that this all aired on. Before that, all the shows we did were live recordings, as one of the ones you'll hear later this episode was. You know, that's a historical fact. I really should have been telling him that. Oh, no, Rory, it's uh, we can all deal with historical yeah, I'm the, I'm the actual expert. I'm the actual historian. So I well, you're not the waxwork historian, are you? I mean, are you? Do you claim to be an expert on waxwork? Well, I know a lot about it. Yes. This is, you know, this is. Can we just do the show? I've got stuff I want to do in my life. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we holding you up? All right. Well, here, here we go for Frank because you know we want to speed this along. Here we go with Guard Duty Episode One. Enjoy. The Earth Guard, the planet's most powerful heroes, united common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. At that end, the Guard takes shifts, monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of Guard Duty. This week, Dr. Fast and the Jack in Hopefully Devoted. Oh, I have nothing to do. Guard duty is so very, very long and slow. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, I mean, I know, I understand. We have to do these shifts of guard duty because, yes, you know, protecting and all, which is what we're here to do. But still, lame, 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 lame. At least we should have, like, a butler or something to make us some snacks or finger sandwiches or whatnot. We, we can't even order a pizza, which probably should have been said explicitly, because I don't think it was unreasonable for me to assume the guard tower security system would recognize what a delivery guy is. Sure, there's a microwave, but come on! It's no substitute for real, honest-to-goodness food! <sighs> what time is it? No. No way, it's... It's only midnight! I'm gonna go crazy! Do Dr. Fast, we gotta do something! I'm not gonna make it otherwise! We're gonna have to play Uno or Spit or something, because if we... Dr. Fast... Dr. Fast, are you... Hello? Are you alive? Fast! What? What's going on? Is there an emergency? Yes! What? What is it? I'm bored out of my mind and you're spacing out! You weren't even listening to my angst! How can I angst properly without an audience? So there's no emergency. I think you'll find I clearly said there was! Jack, you... Stunning! Moron! You've just destroyed an experiment that took me minutes to set up! What? You were just... For your information, I was running back and forth between here and my lab so quickly that I appeared to be in both places at once. I've been trying to fine-tune the effects of the anti-gravity belt, and thanks to you... Yes, thanks to you, it's floated off into the stratosphere. Ooh, I'm telling the stallion. You're supposed to be here on guard duty the whole shift. Spare me your immature recriminations. For your information, Jack, for each of the milliseconds that I was in the room here, my attention was purely focused on the monitors, scanning for emergencies. I use the travel time between locations to reorient myself between activities. 
You seem pretty oblivious to me, Irv. You didn't hear a word I said. Well, when one takes in as much information as I do, one becomes quite adept at filtering out the unimportant. Ha! Well then, maybe you're not as smart as you think you are. Indeed. Yes, indeed. For your information, we're not here to focus our attention on the monitors. Oh, really? Do tell. The brain frame is programmed to recognize emergencies and alert whoever's on guard duty, so we don't even have to watch very closely. And besides, there's two of us. If we were just watching screens, we'd only need one member. Then what is our purpose here? We're supposed to entertain each other. If it was just one of us here, we'd fall asleep, which defeats the whole purpose. We're supposed to regale each other with tales of our epic battles and secret origins, talk trash about villains, play the occasional game of Scrabble. Oh, for heaven's sake. So how about it, Dr. Fast? How did you get your powers? Sell your soul to a speed demon? Oh, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one since the illusionist was arrested. But seriously, is it some sort of genetic thing? I mean... Your name's Irving Fast, and you move super fast, so, like, it's a family thing, right? No, I assure you, it's a coincidence. No, ever since I was young, I've been obsessed with aging. My my grandmother descended into senility and decrepitude when I was still a young man. Before that, she was by far the smartest woman I've ever met. I told myself I would never let that happen to me. I dedicated my life to finding a way to stop aging. I worked for years to no avail. My backers didn't have the patience necessary for scientific research and pulled funding, even though I told them I'd made a breakthrough. So... So you tested the serum on yourself, right? (laughs) I mean, man, I always thought that was the stupidest part of movies. No real scientist would ever... Ever... You didn't, did you? The formula didn't work as I had hoped. I still age at the same rate as everyone else, but somehow it granted me the ability to live exponentially faster than anyone else. It was a miscalculation in the process, a miscalculation I have not been able to reproduce. Since then, I've been using my new ability to try and learn as much of the world's knowledge as humanly possible, and finally, hopefully, one day cure the disease of age. So, wait. Why don't you just move at super speed doing research until you finish the aging research? What do you mean? Well... Like you were talking about before, zipping back and forth and back and forth at top speed. Zoom, 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 zoom. So there's two of you. I am. What? But you seem so... <laughs> the only reason I seemed unfocused before was due to the spreading myself between three activities. Guard duty, the ongoing aging experiment, and the anti-grav belt. Are you saying that every time I see you... I've been working on that experiment nonstop for about five years now. I told you I've dedicated my life to it. That's not something I take lightly, although I don't expect you to understand. What exactly does that mean? Well, you and your cavalier attitude. Oh, oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, it makes sense. I must not have anything in my life I take seriously. Makes sense, because, yeah, I'm such a scatterbrain goofball, right? So, yeah. Well, Jack, you must admit. Hey, I did. I admit. Admission granted. Jack, I didn't mean... No, 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 no. It's my turn now. Secret origin. Although, I suppose you must know all about me already, right? But still, fair is fair. You told yours, now I tell mine. Jack. So, there I am. 16-year-old Jack Bolesky, a young, upcoming acrobat from downtown L.A., babysitting my brother and sister, Tommy and Cindy, when we get a phone call from the police. My parents, you see, ran a convenience store a few blocks from our home, and they tended to work a lot of hours trying to save money for my training. A silly thing to do, I know, for someone who clearly must not have cared much about his acrobatics, and I guess they would have been better off not saving, since if they'd had any employees, they would have been murdered that night instead of my parents. But, of course, one moves on, and you know... It's weird, but I seem to have forgotten what happened next. How could I forget part of my own secret origin? <laughs> hey, Brainframe! Yes, the Jack? This is so embarrassing, but I've forgotten part of my own secret origin. Who was it that took custody of my brother and sister after my parents died? Jack Boleski. What? But that doesn't make any sense. I'm not the kind of person who could do that sort of thing, and besides, I was only 16. How is this possible, Brainframe? A lengthy court case preceded the granting of custody, during which time the Bolesky children were in separate foster homes. I don't know, it's sort of ringing a bell, but... Jack, I'm... Wait, I... 
We didn't even get to the part where I become a crime fighter. I finished high school and took over the store for myself, in between goofing off and joking around, of course, and one day, I got held up. Can you believe it? And as I'm sure you can imagine, I was just going to give them the money. I mean, why risk my life, right? But somehow, the police arrived, and the bad guy grabbed a little boy as hostage, and for some reason, gee, I don't know, I was unhappy about it. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden, my athletic background was good for something. We had this plastic jug full of rubber bouncy balls on the counter, and before the bad knew what was what, me and those balls were bouncing all over the store, and he's out like a light. Turns out there was a reward for the bastard, which was great, because Tommy and Cindy could always use more in their college funds on top of the insurance money. But gee, I guess that night was such a laugh riot, I decided to keep up the fun and games on a regular basis. It's nice to have such a leisurely life, let me tell you. Jack, I... How can you be so... happy? What should I do? Become a dark creature of the night? I'm not here to scare people. I'm here to help them children. I'm sorry. Oh my god, it was you who killed my parents? What? No! D don't try telling me you have an alibi. You've already shown that that's meaningless where you're concerned. Jack, what are you talking about? I'd never- <laughs> Relax. I was yanking your chain. Man, you were too- The brain frame! An attack by the sysops at the Stanton building in Boston. Broadband is on site, but seems to be overwhelmed fighting the troll and pop-up, while Drag and Drop and WYSIWYG appear to be tearing the building apart. So far, I'll alert the others. You prime the horse. Meet you there in five. I'll be waiting. Scapey, uh, what did you think? Well, uh, it was great, I guess. Uh, the Jack is kind of annoying. The Jack is kind of annoying? What about him is annoying? His voice. That was my, that was my voice. I was playing the Jack. I was being the Jack. That was me. Well, I'm sorry. So you're saying I'm annoying? No. I don't know. Do you give me treats? That's not annoying. That's good. Okay, yeah, I give you treats, so my voice is nice. Yeah. As nice as yours? Well, come on. Even for treats? No, no, no. My voice is the best voice. You weren't even in that one. Oh, but uh, I should point out that that was the first appearance of Frank Allen in one of the serials there. Uh, you just uh, played the, the newsman. Of course. I played a lot of newsman roles in uh, Guard Duty. It was a pleasure to do. I think your voice has a certain, you know, professional newsman quality. Thank you very much. I At one point, it was my aspiration to be a newsman, but I decided to, you know, host was a little bit better. Co-host, as the case may be for now. For now, yes, for now, co-host, but eventually host. Host of everything, host. Host of everything. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Well, speaking of things that people are hosting, now we're going to get to the section of the show hosted by Rory Sinjin. Now, Rory, I think you have something special planned for us today, right? Absolutely, absolutely. This Day in History was a show we did in which 
We took an actual historical fact, and we would show you a scene taken from a moment about that fact, which gave you a true historical lesson with a moral story to it. Now, you say true, uh, but I don't want to confuse people, because it, it is true, but there's kind of a but there, right? But, well, well, yes, a little bit, but it, it is true in an alternate reality. And in the reality you are all in, for the most part, that this day in history stories are not actually 100% uh, staying true to historical fact. However, I, I absolutely can guarantee you that there is a universe in which each of these things actually happens. Okay. That's ridiculously stupid. Okay, okay, but um, what's the what's the new bonus thing you've got for us? Well, there's a new feature called Where Are They Now in History, which kind of updates on the original fact. Excellent, excellent. So we're going to play the actual This Day in History uh, radio clip from the day that this podcast premieres, which is today, uh, March 31st, and then update that historical information, correct? Absolutely. Well, let's get right to it. Hello, I'm Rory Sinjin, and you're listening to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. On March 31st, 1889, the Eiffel Tower was dedicated in Paris in a ceremony presided over by Gustave Eiffel, the tower's designer, and attended by French Prime Minister Pierre Terrard, a handful of other dignitaries, and 200 construction workers. Let's hear it. And now declare this tower open for tourism. Mr. Eiffel, this is one of the ugliest towers you have ever created in the history of the France. Yes, but the point it can be used for roasting weenies. It is a brilliant design. All we do is we take a blowtorch up to the top, we put the weenie on top of the Eiffel Tower, and we cook it. I disagree with you, Senor Eiffel. This is an ugly, ugly tower, and you are a very ugly, smelly person, which is very hard for me to say, considering you are French. But well, you I should respect what I have to say. My ideas, they are important to me. Ah, lack of respect does hurt the French and everyone else. Thank you, Eiffel. Not only have you built the tower, you have taught me a powerful lesson. And learning the lesson of respecting one another, the French never lost another war again in the history of the world. You're listening to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But that's not all. This is Rory Sinjin on Cast and Wax with Where Are They Now in History? Bringing you an important historical update on the facts you just heard. Yes, it is true that the French never lost another war again. But what I didn't mention was that Mr. Eiffel did become the king of the entire country. He became obsessed with putting weenies on top of all structures and roasting them. The entire country was inflamed, literally, because they caught on fire from the flamethrowers. They were so upset that they really wanted to get rid of him, but they didn't know how to do it while maintaining the proper level of respect for the person they had named king of everything. So, what they ended up doing, of course, was taking him, deciding he was, in fact, the biggest weenie of them all, sticking him on top of the Eiffel Tower and roasting him alive, with the utmost respect for him, of course. Problem being that the uh, flamethrowers melted the entire Eiffel Tower down, caught every French person's foot inside of the melting slag, and they had to flamethrower their own legs off as well. So, while I did say that they, they never lost another war again, uh, it was to some extent because the other side always felt kind of guilty fighting uh, an entire army made up of one-legged people, and they sort of just let them win. And it was, of course, very respectful of their enemies to allow them that dignity. This is Rory Sinjin with Where Are They Now in History? Well, thank you, Rory, for that uh, new information. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Uh, this was, it was a pleasure to do. I did it, I did the research myself again as part of my grant at the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies. Uh, uh, you know, the, 
This is going to be your contribution to the show, just a bunch of nonsense, you talking jibber for a No, minute. it's not jibber. It's actually historical. Look, I'm an expert. I know well, history. That's preposterous. Hey, no, Frank, it's Frank. absolutely false. You're a liar. Frank, let's settle down. Settle down. Let's not call anybody names. Uh, we're going to move on now to, well, to the, the part of the show that normally is going to be hosted by Frank, but this part is not. What You want to tell him, Frank? Yes, please. Uh, this is a show called Tract or Fiction. It's one of the two uh, debate shows that I hosted. This now, this episode is the very first episode recorded live on the air, but I was not a part of the show at this time. I was at home listening, and I was a fan of the show, but Jordan hosted it himself. And I thought, listening to it, as as you probably will, that he was not the best host for this show, and that I could do a much better job. So, in the second episode, you'll hear me at some point come into the show. But in this episode, I won't be there, unfortunately. Yes, very unfortunate. Uh, although, as he said, it was recorded live. We did try to clean it up, so it's it should be sounding better than it's ever sounded before. It has been kind of remastered and, and touched up a bit. It's still not going to be quite as nice as the guard duty segment but it's 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 pretty good it's pretty darn good and very funny enjoy There's a guy named Jack Chick. He makes little tiny comic books that he calls tracts that are designed to, uh, well, I'm not going to get into exactly what they're for, but let's just say they state some ideas that he has about the way that the world is, and um, they're intended to, to go out there and uh, spread the word that he, that he thinks is true. So what we've done is we've adapted one of his works at random into, you know, radio format, so we can do it as a narrative. And then after we finish that, we're going to have a debate as to the validity of, this, of the claims that he has in here. So one of us will argue for one will argue against it. Actually, can my two debaters just say who they are first? Sue Blaine. Sue Blaine? Janie. And Janie. They're going to argue. One is going to argue for it. One is going to argue against. Unfortunately, we're not going to know which one is arguing for which until we flip a coin after we finish dramatizing. <laughs> so, now we're going to we're gonna act this out. And uh, like I said, we're flying by the seat of our pants, so it's going to be very, very exciting. Let's begin. This one is called Sin City. Oh, and just so you know, if you want more information on Jack Chick, I believe it's... You can find information about him at Chick.com. Yeah. So, so you can hear it from his point of view. So, Let's begin with the narrator, the story of Sin City. We began in the big city during a gay pride parade. With hundreds of homosexuals and their supporters gathered to celebrate their pride, one man with a placard stands in the center of the road, bringing the parade to a halt. What do you think you're doing? The man simply stands there, a Bible in one hand and in the other his protest sign, which reads, Homosexuality is an abomination. See Leviticus 2013. The homosexual police soon move in on him. Stinging straight! You're under arrest! That's a hate crime! You devil, nobody stops my parade! I'm as they pummel the protester mercilessly, the media looks on. Kill that footage, you fool! You want to make us look bad? Sorry, Sorry, Commissioner. Go back and film the rest of the parade. Two days later, the protester, Mr. Wesley, awakes in the hospital. You're charged with a hate crime, Mr. Wesley. Because you acted in hatred against us by blocking our parade, you now face a prison sentence. However, we'll drop the charges if you change your hateful attitude. We brought our minister to show you the error of your ways. In came Reverend Ray, a gay minister, but what no one realized was that the demon Xana was on his arm. Hi, I'm Reverend Ray, and I'm gay, and Jesus loves me. Hi, I'm Xana, and I hate your guts. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, at Mr. Wesley's home... Bob, did you hear? Malcolm is in the county hospital. He's under arrest for a hate crime. Malcolm? A hate crime? That's ridiculous. I'm on my way. Back at the hospital. If you agree to listen to our pastor, we'll drop the charges. Reverend Ray is a Bible scholar. He'll make you understand. It's under control now, officer. We're dropping the charges. Let's take off. Yes, sir. Hey, guys, don't leave. It ain't over yet. Brother Malcolm, God loves all his children, including gays. He understands we were born this way because he made us. But, uh, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Shame on you. You sound like all the other bigots. You must drop this hateful attitude. The right-wing extremists deliberately changed the Bible story of Sodom so they could attack us. Now, here's the truth. In Ezekiel 16.49, the prophet tells us why Sodom was punished. The real sin was arrogance, and they didn't help the poor. It was in hospitality. In hospitality, but, but, wait, I thought it was a, a sexual thing. Oh, my head. Oh, no. You're confused. Suddenly, Malcolm's good friend Bob bursts into the room. He's not confused. You're perverting the word of God. You forgot about Jude, verse 7. I'm going to pray right now. Lord, cast all the devils out of this room. Heal Malcolm and save this gay minister in Jesus' name. What, what happened? Everything's brighter. Goodbye, Ray. As a team, we ruined lots of kids. And with that, Zano was banished. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is in Genesis chapter 18, 1929. God told Abraham that he was going to destroy the city of Sodom. And then Abraham said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? He pleaded with God to spare it if there were 50 righteous people. But there were not even 10 in all the cities of the plain. God sent two angels to rescue Abraham's nephew, Lot, who lived in Sodom that night. All the men of the city tried to have sex with the angels. The angels blinded the Sodomites and physically pulled Lot, his wife, and two daughters out of the city so God's judgment could hit. And it did! All the men and women died in the flames and instantly went to hell. To God, homosexuality is no joke. The word of God is loaded with verses warning us about it. And God's eyes don't miss a thing. He sees it all. And everything is being recorded. Malcolm tried to lovingly warn the homosexual of God's coming judgment. So who committed the hate crime? Malcolm or the guys who almost beat him to death? Tell me, Ray, of all the sins, lying, adultery, stealing, etc., can you think of any other sin where God himself wiped out entire cities to remove that sin? No, no, I can't. Help him, Lord! Man, I'm seeing everything in a different light. Oh, God, I'm in trouble. How many young people have I enticed into the gay lifestyle? I'm facing God covered with the responsibility of ruining their lives. I've held rallies and gay pride parades. I've cursed pastors as being bigots. I've even preach that Jesus was gay. Will that put me into hell? Our sin puts all of us in hell. And Ray, you need a savior, and I mean today. You know what it cost God to get rid of our sins? It took God Almighty himself to become a man and shed his precious blood and die for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That That's, that's crazy. Jesus died on a cross and he was only a man. No, Ray. He is God and he provided it by rising from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those are the most important words ever spoken. But, but what about all the different religions of the world? I'm sorry, but there is only one way to heaven, and it's Jesus. I'm not going to fight God anymore. What should I do? Repent, Ray. Surrender your life to Christ. Acknowledge that he died for your sins and receive him as your savior. Lord, I've seen all that I've been doing. I know I'm a sinner, and I repent my sins. I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. Please save me! 
It happened! Jesus is real! I know I'm saved! I feel like a new person. Thank you, God. You showed me the truth. And thank you, Inspector, <laughs> for doing an enormous... An enormous conversation with yourself. <laughs> all right, so all right, so that's all right, so that's I'm the crazy. Evidence. No, you're not. <laughs> so that's the evidence. Okay, that's the and that's the matter at hand. I don't even know we're arguing anymore. <laughs> you're going to argue whether or not this was this was valid. One of you is going to say well, absolutely. One of you is going to say clearly this is absolutely correct, and the other one's going to say it's not. Here's the other copy of the of well, the. Just this. Read it again. There, there are so many things in here that. Well, no, wait, <laughs> no, wait, don't, don't say because you might be for it or you might be against it. Oh, you don't know. Remember? Okay. All right, so let's go with heads or tails. Now let's say heads means that Sue is for it, and tails means that Janie is for it. All right, let's yeah, let's flip this coin, and I'll, I'm going to be the like oh, the, uh, the facilitator. I hope it's me. All right, Janie's for it. Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right. Yes. Okay, all right. Now let's let's. This is going to be a serious, honest to goodness, serious debate. Okay. All right. All right. Here, get put get get so you're equidistant. You know? <laughs> All right, all right. Now let's let's start with uh. Okay, let's just start. Uh, well, actually, for for it go, would, would would argue first. So go ahead, argue the validity. Okay. Now show me where these passages really are in the Bible, and maybe I'll give you some credit. Wait, wait. You're for it. Yeah, wait, you are. Whoa, you are the Christian. Oh. No, 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 no. You're for it. You yeah. think it's right. You think that I everything. Think that's it. Oh man, I'm the <laughs> Christian. Okay. Wait, wait, no, no, no. It's all right. It's all right. But thanks for arguing my side. No, no. Let's let's start over. <laughs> Start over, redo, redo. Let's start over. Okay, let's start. For it can go first. For it. Okay. <laughs> now, really, how disgusting is it to walk down the street and see two men kissing? Really? Do you want to see that everywhere you go? Yeah, that's kind of hot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for oh, that. Oh, man. All I want to do every time I see that, I just want to run to the nearest trash can and just get sick. I mean, even girls. I'm sorry. Girls are pretty and everything, but they're not meant to kiss each other. Well, why not? I'm, I'm just, I'm the facilitator. I'm just trying to clarify things. Yeah. Christianity why dictates. Not? Men go with women. Women go with men. Not so, men with men and women with women. So you feel that Bob was correct when he spoke those things? Yes. So when Bob said that there was no other sin that, that had ever been called God upon to wipe out a whole city? Yes. Okay. Any, any reply to I that? I think that's total BS. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all all just a bunch of... Uh, Hooey. Hooey. Thank it, but, you. Yeah, but you need evidence. Thank you for that, Hooey. you got to back I'm, it up. I'm, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, I, I just feel like, especially in this last passage here, where uh, where Reverend Ray is just randomly saved, I feel like that's absolutely physically impossible. I mean, it just, nothing could ever happen like that. Okay, so maybe it was a slight exaggeration to show his seeing the light, but you know what? That's the way of God. He is seeing the way of God. Yes, but what can we handle as a, a slight exaggeration versus a large exaggeration? What if it was... He was still it's an exaggeration. It was light a lie. God. Light of God. I don't. What if God doesn't have a light? What if God doesn't exist? How do we know? Where is the physical proof? Who needs physical proof? I it's need physical we... proof. Well, the Bible. Read the Bible. The Bible is physical proof. The Bible is physical proof when I throw it at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they're large and heavy. Please don't throw the Bible at me. They're very large you and heavy. You know what? How about this? We'll try an experiment. If there's a God and he doesn't want you to die, when I throw the Bible at you, he will save you. Okay. <laughs> we can try that. Okay, throw okay. the Bible at me. Go, I'm ready. Jeannie. I'm ready. Oh, it's huge. It's so heavy. Hey! Ow! You actually right. throw it at me? 
Well, she's not dead. Did your God save you then, Janie? Huh? Did I'm he? not dead. <laughs> Where was your God then? I'm still here. It didn't kill me. What about that bruise on your head? If it didn't kill her, I think it made her stronger. Now her head could withstand <laughs> two yeah. Bibles at once. Yeah. Excuse me, Mr. Facilitator. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mr. Unbiased maybe I'm just, Facilitator. Maybe I'm yeah, just Mr. giving unbiased. points. Maybe I'm just giving points where points are due. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I am right. I have seen the light of God. Okay. I think she's got a concussion. I think she may. You know what? Oh, no. uh, That's how St. Paul found Jesus. He was walking, going down the road because <laughs> he fell off his donkey, hit his head, saw a bright light, heard Jesus. Now we got and got a yep. concussion. Yep. Yep. And, yep. and went crazy. The and there are two or three episodes in the Bible that say things like, and the spirit of the Lord came unto, say, Saul in the town of... Okay, uh, proves my point. Bethlehem. Jesus, Saul. No, other Saul. Well, you know, and uh, actually, I thought of something else. Uh, there was a point, I believe there was a point in the Bible, uh, somebody pointed this out to me, it was, I think it was my beautiful wife, that uh, God, didn't God wipe out pretty much everyone who was alive at one time because they were sinners? Because uh, with the but, flood? Yeah, but well, did, we're all, they're sinners, we're all come of, on. Yeah, I know, but but if, if I thought there was no other sin that ever ever uh, caused God to wipe out a whole city other than Well, maybe they were all gay. Maybe they were maybe all everyone having huge on Earth gay parties. I don't think that was. I don't think that was. They were probably having huge homosexual orgies. Come Th- on, you know man. what? That's entirely possible. That's entirely possible. I don't know. Uh, maybe we. None should, of us were there, man. Maybe we, we should call our sure. resident Bible scholar. Um, Bible scholar. What? What's the answer? I know lots of people who have gay orgies, and none of them have been struck down by God yet. So why is he taking his sweet time? Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say you remember the clergy? Well, <laughs> <laughs> the smiting. The smiting has not happened for a long time. God is saving all the smiting for one. Big oh, yeah? moment. What do no, you ages, man? The smiting. The smiting. That's right. I just want to clarify something. Did you say orgies? <laughs> <laughs> I said orgies and not clergy. Was I supposed to say clergy? No, but aren't you? I know lots of people of the in the clergy, clergy and yeah, they haven't been struck down. I know people who have gay orgies. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean. They're, they're wait God saving the smiting for all at once. Okay. He's waiting Besides, for the huge smiting. We are near the end of days anyway, so According he, he can't be... Yes, all right. Why are these all right. getting their news? Okay. All right. When there's a big George, all right. Well, I'm going to decide who won the debate. It was, for those I'm sorry. at home, he just flipped I'm the sorry. Coin. It was Janie won the debate. Sorry. Oh, yeah. How do we even know that that's accurate? I'm sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Hold the on. The coin... How do we know that that's accurate? Because you God... Say because God controlled the coin. Excuse me, Stop being facilitator. Come on. Stop. Being such a sore loser. I think you're a little bit more sore right. than I am, Miss right. Biblehead. All right, all right, all right. Ladies, <laughs> ladies, why don't you kiss and make up? <laughs> Come here, Janie. Oh, yeah, kiss, girl. I know you yeah. want it, Janie. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that, the first episode of Tractor Fiction featured the voice talents of Rich Bellin, Lynn Nelson, Magdalena Richards, Daniel Schwartz, Kate Slotwinski, Angela Tymon, Devin White, and Jordan D. White. You see, I am in some ways the waxwork historian I do know an awful lot about. Welcome to the waxwork. I guess that's fair. I guess you do. So as I said, typically that was going to be, as of the second episode, it becomes hosted by Frank Allen. So he'll probably tell you more about that as we go through it. That is correct. I shall do so. Coming up now, we do have another section of the show featuring Frank Allen, which is the the Frank Allen interview section. Shall we get right into it? Yes, please. Frank Allen Interviews, starring Frank Allen. Welcome to the first Frank Allen Interviews section of the podcast Cast in Wax 
Uh, I'm going to be interviewing people involved in Welcome to the Waxwork, either uh, people who acted in it, people who worked behind the scenes, people who uh, were, were characters in it, people who, anything, anything, all sorts of different things. Who knows? Who knows what I'm going to do? It's going to be crazy. I'm crazy. Ah, crazy. For this very first interview, we have Jordan's wife, Devon. Now, Devon uh, has been married to Jordan for a while now, so she was involved in a lot of the waxwork stuff and was a, was a witness to a lot of the, the things. We're, we're going to hear about that. Say hello to everybody, would you? Hello, everybody. So, uh, what is your what is your connection to Welcome to the Waxwork? Well, uh, I've been there from the very beginning, since its inception. I remember when um, Jordan Jordan's always been very creative, and he likes to make um, songs and comics and stories, and he wanted sort of um, a place to display them. So, Welcome to the Waxwork actually started as a website, uh, but once he was involved in the radio, he wanted to do a radio show. He wanted to do stories on the radio, sort of like old-timey but you know newer and uh, it was it was interesting because even though the radio had a radio theater department um they didn't do much radio theater so jordan wanted to sort of revitalize that and uh and and he basically got a whole bunch of his friends to be involved okay well uh that's enough tooting of jordan's horn what did you do well i mean i was part of the website at the beginning um, I had poems and, and I had a collage. I had a really great collage, actually. I think it's still up there. Well, but the collage is not going to be, you can't hear it on the radio. No, no. You're just, you're just talking about the radio. It's just welcome to the waxwork is so much bigger than just the radio, if you ask me. But, uh, but if we're just talking about the radio, the tractor fiction actually came almost entirely from me because the chick tracks are all mine. He didn't even really know about chick tracks before me, but I, I was the one who was uh, very interested in chick tracks, and I have quite the collection. And it's from this collection that he uh, he he chose comics. Okay, okay, okay. So you're what you're trying to say is you're a fundamentalist Christian? No, I I, I enjoy them to laugh at them, not to. Uh... You collect something you think is stupid? Well, yeah. How is that sensical? Um, I didn't realize there was a sensibility requirement. All right. So you you voice acted in the show. I heard you in the first episode there you played the narrator, right? Yeah, I uh for the first chapter fiction. I I know Jordan, he feels that all uh, uh, everything with waxwork is is, you know, sort of came from his brain and and from his invention, but but the the tracks were all mine, so I, I very much feel tractor fiction is is a Devon thing. So uh, I wanted to, to narrate the first one because I feel very attached to them. Well, little did either of you realize it's a Frank Allen thing because I took it over and I made it better than either of you could have possibly. It's uh, it's good to have your own opinions, there, Frank. Uh, some opinions, a fact. But uh, moving on. Well, who else did you play uh, in the shows? I mean, you you played this narrator. Who else did you play? Well, uh, in Epic Echoes, I played Molly, and uh, and that was fun. I let me see in Saint Red. I played Allison. In Decker and Hayes, I played several characters. It, it was always interesting because I cannot do other voices. I can really only do my voice. And so I would try really hard to do other accents for things, and I kind of sucked at it. Well, Jordan doesn't do really other voices. He sounds like himself as the Jack. No, he does. He puts on a little something for the Jack. He, you know, he brings it up. He makes it a little chirpy. I can't really do that. But everybody can tell it's him. It sounds like the same guy. Well, that's true. But, I mean, to be honest, Jordan doesn't act a whole heck of a lot. He's, he's really busy. He's more of a, you know, administrator of the whole shebang. Uh, all right. Well, so of all the roles that you played, uh, what was your favorite one and why is that? Definitely Molly was my favorite. 
I think because I really enjoyed the story and I really enjoyed being part of it. She had a great emotional range. People wrote her really well and uh, she'd get really angry sometimes or she'd cry and it was, it definitely stretched my, my acting abilities. And I, I tried my best to, to fill the role well and do, do credit to the writing. Um, I like the parts where she got angry best though because I got to yell. Were you ever involved in this thing called This Day in History? Yes, yes, sometimes. Uh, not as much as some people, um, but sometimes they would drag me out there. Total nonsense, right? Totally stupid? It was fun to do. Yeah, but it's, it's malarkey. It's fake. It's nonsense and it's fake and no one should listen to it, right? Well, I, I think anything I'm in, people should listen to. Okay, but I mean, it's fake. It's nonsense. It's bad. No, no, it's not bad. You, uh, you know, it gives a lot of really good life lessons through alternate history. Rory's kind of cute in person. I'm sorry. Uh, what, is this relevant? How is that relevant? Um, no, you were just asking if it, it, you know, had any worth. And, uh, you know, it was sort of fun to do. And it was kind of fun to, you know, meet Rory and, and all that. He has that accent. There's just something about accents. Um, and now, actually, we do have a, uh, a bit of reader mail uh, wrote in with a question. Um, so let me read this here. It says, my understanding is that... During the recording of Welcome to the Waxwork, uh, all the things being described by the narrators and such were actually being physically acted out uh, by all of the acting participants. Is this correct? Oh, um, absolutely. Of course. I mean, if you, if you want to keep it true to the story, if, if you want to be able to express and emote properly, it's sort of like method acting, except, you know, in, in, instead of the, the method acting where you keep your character even when you're not acting it's it's that you you go the extra level for radio acting so in the in, the, in that episode of tractor fiction i wasn't there but in that episode uh when when uh sue blaine threw a bible at janie there was a, she that was true it wasn't it wasn't a special effect they actually threw hefted a bible through it yeah um i was really surprised that she brought her own bible i uh i wasn't expecting that level of commitment. And man, and what a what a shiner that caused too. Bibles are heavy. Especially, you know, they have those hard edges if they're hardcover and Well, I think that's you know, I think that was the point, right? Yeah. You know, if if you want a really good thwopping noise of, of you know, Bible hitting flesh, uh sometimes you just you gotta do it. Bible on flesh. It it gets trickier when, you know, um there are things that involve like shooting people, you know, other really horrible violence we've done, tracks about human sacrifice and things like that. And and, and sometimes we, we had, you know, a hard time getting actors to come back because they were they were nervous. But um it's it's really all for the good of the show and it's it's important to to keep that kind of integrity in mind. That's that's good of you to say. Unfortunately, uh the script for this interview says it ends with me shooting you. I uh have to go to the bathroom. I'll wait, be back. Wait, hang on. Unfortunately, uh, that was the end of the interview, and uh, hopefully we'll see her again. She's all right. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to the very first Frank Allen interview. There will be more. Thank you very much, Frank. I do appreciate that. That was my lovely wife, Devin, being so deftly interviewed by you. It was a pleasure to interview her. Um, I do have to say that you insulted my section of the show, uh, but at least mine was brief. Yours went on and on, interminably long and incredibly, insufferably boring. Uh, that's my wife. You just referred to her as boring. No, no, of course she was wonderful, but I mean, his his questions were uh, rude and arrogant. Uh, you and know, guys, 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 you're really going to have to settle this, you know? I'm not settling. I'm not settling anything. Well, no, clearly you're not. You couldn't settle anything if you tried. Oh, I have a debate show that could uh, seem to d debate that. Okay, guys, 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 guys. Let's just... We have another show to get through. This one is called Epic Echoes. Yay! For Epic Echoes! <laughs> Do you like that one? Oh, yeah. 
Hoyer, it's my favorite, because that's the one I mean, Hoyer. Yes, yes, that is true. Uh, Scape does, in fact, act in this show, although not uh, not for a few episodes. <laughs> Trying to remember, what's the first one you're in? Is it episode 11? Yeah, I think so. Episode 11. That's when I come in. That's the best part. And then you're in it for... Quite some time, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for now, I'm in it. Uh, I'm I'm in this first episode as well as my, my lovely wife. She was referring to Molly Singh and the character that she plays. And you're about to hear her for the very first time. As I pointed out, this is a sci-fi series and it is known as the Backwards series. What you're about to hear is the final episode of the show, but the first one that we wrote and recorded. You see what I'm saying? We recorded the last episode first and went backwards through it right up to the first episode. Which is which is kind of confusing. Yeah, well, but you get over it and you you, you get into it as well. You get over it and into it. Trust me, we did it on purpose, and you know I think we made it really work. It's a backwards show. Here's the last episode. You'll meet the Flashback and their wonderful leader, Max Thornfield. Enjoy. Series Episode One Goodbye Kiss The Series Finale by Jordan D. White. All things must end somewhere, somewhere, but no one among Max's band of companions could have guessed it would have been here. The entire front of the White House had been reduced to rubble around them. The wreckage of their space converted San Francisco trolley lay nearby, finally damaged beyond repairability. Max and the flashpack huddled behind a makeshift barricade comprised of chunks of the huge marble columns that once made up the building's facade. Dralis stalked towards them, stepping off her Battle Nova's boarding ramp gleefully. Give it up, Thornfield! You and your brat pack don't stand a chance. I'm not going to lower the field until I am the undisputed ruler of this pathetic planet. Tell you what, if you come out now, I promise to take less than a week to kill you. Deal? This is it, guys. This is the final reckoning. Max, we're never going to make it. Don't say that, Crisp. The flashback never gives up. Now, Molly. Yeah? Take Crisp, take Slatter and Keen, and get inside to Jimmy. We can't leave you alone! We all know Dralis is obsessed with me. Me saying to face her is the only way you'll have enough time to get Jimmy into the tubes. Besides, I've always got the spell pouch. I can defeat her. That might not work on her. You heard Alyssa when she gave it to you. She'll kill you. You remember what happened in Baltimore? You nearly got cut in half. Look, the troops are going to be on us any minute, so if we're going to save the country, you've got to go now. Max? Go! Max, I, I, I love you! Before the shock could even reach Max's brain, Molly grabbed his head and pulled him in for a kiss. She held his lips to hers for a good ten seconds before breaking away. I know we don't have time for this, but I needed to tell you. I miss Julie just as much as you do, maybe more, but this might be the last time I ever see you, and I wanted you to know that I love you. Losing you would feel like losing an entire army's worth of people. Now, let's move out. We've got a president to save. Molly led the pack off before Max could say a word, and as they moved out, Max realized what he needed to do. He sprung to his feet, holding his blaster high over his head. Drawless! 
Dralis, I'm here! If you want me, I'm right here! Come and get me! Dralis approached her nemesis as her troops moved into position, surrounding him, leveling their own weapons at his head. Ah, Thornfield, how good to see you! I must say, I am disappointed that you're not going to put up a fight. You'll understand if I have my troops take your weapon. Of course. Do it. And search him. Yes, mistress. Watch those hands, fellas. <laughs> oh, please. They're the least of your concerns now. I assume your little followers are off to help President Kovacs, no? And you stayed behind to distract us? That's what I told them, of course. They'll be taking him to the tubes. Send your troops to the Jefferson Memorial, and you'll be able to intercept. We'll have them in no time. They don't suspect a thing. What? What are you talking about, don't suspect a thing? The plan. The deal we made. The deal? Back in El Paso, six months ago. Tell your troops to check around my neck. Yes, yes, do it. Here, mistress. The corner of Max's mouth crooked upwards as the troop's cold metal gauntlet brushed his shoulder blade, lifting the locket off his neck. Dralis's eyes grew wide. My, my locket! Where did you get that? I tore it off of Dex's dead body. No one gets to have you but me. That was our deal. But you never said- We were interrupted. I was rescued. I had to play along. How else could I get us this close? But we need to move fast if we want to catch them. Take a regiment. Collect them. Now! Yes, mistress. You won't be offended if I don't trust you implicitly, will you? Why would you? I wouldn't trust you. That's probably for the best. I've been dying to tear your throat out for some time now. I wouldn't put it past me. I'm at your mercy now. In 15 minutes, your field will start crushing the entire planet. Why would I want to stand in the way of the one person who could stop that? Why, indeed. I've asked myself that same question many times. Dralis, I was just playing along. Get inside. Get Kovacs' trust. You said that to me. Then let's just say all these guns trained on you are your reward for an impressive acting job. Besides, if you're telling the truth, there'll be rewards enough to more than make up for any inconvenience you might suffer in the immediate future. Trust me. I can't wait. Mistress, we've got the flashback and Kovac strapped in the Jefferson Monument. Excellent. Perhaps you were being honest with me. Nothing would please me more. Not even disemboweling you. Dralis slipped the locket back over Max's head, tucked it into his shirt, and patted him on the chest. Over in the monument, Molly and the pack had come up from the tubes to find blasters already firing at them. Now they found themselves pinned behind various pillars encircling the founder's statue, doing their best to evade fire. The young president crouched near Jefferson's feet and looked up at him. I bet the sort of thing never happened when I was you. How the hell did they find us? How'd they know where we'd come out? I have no idea. What are we going to do? How can we get out of there? Do I look like I know what we can do? The Washington Monument tube was destroyed when they toppled the obelisk. This is as far as we can go. So this is it? Our last stand? It, it might be. I'm sorry, Mr. President. We let you down. No, you didn't, Molly. Don't be... You didn't. You did everything you could. So did Max. If this is it, if this is where it ends, then... There was nothing anyone else could have done. If this is it, we've got to take it all the way. We've got to take as many of them down with us as we can. Take down this entire city if possible. 
We can't give up. We can't lay down arms no matter what. And I know Max would say the same thing if he were here right now. Agreed. I'm in. Molly! Molly, you've got to give up! Um, okay. That was weird. All of you, lay down your weapons and just come out. It's the only way. Bring out Jimmy and come out with your hands up. What do we do? Should we listen? Why would Max want us to give up? Is it a trick? He can't mean it. He wouldn't give up. It's not like him. So we just keep fighting? No. Max is our leader. We're his team, his support. If he says to come out, we do it. He knows that. He wouldn't ask us to do it if he didn't expect us to listen. We've got to go out. Let's go. Slowly, hesitantly, the flash pack laid down their weapons and headed out of the building. Two of Dralis's troops held Max by the arms, both guns to his head. Dralis stood nearby, all arrogance and smirking. Thank you for your cooperation, girl. I'm sure your leader is touched to see how much he means to you. If you like him to continue respirating, I would suggest getting down on the ground. Thank you. Molly, Crisp, Slaughter, Keen, and Jimmy all got onto the ground, lying down on the steps of the great domed building. Once they were in place, the troops released Max and shoved him towards Dralis. He smirked at his compatriots and rolled his eyes. Thank you ever so much for being so very loyal to me. Too bad I didn't bother to return the favor. It seems, Mr. President, that your trusted fighter here was really only looking to save his own skin. Sorry, Jimmy. I've been working for Dralis since she captured me back in El Paso. She offered me a better deal. Max slipped his arms around Dralis's waist and pulled her body up against his, ducking his head down to kiss her passionately. Her fingers writhed through his hair, rumpling it up as Molly clenched her eyes tight. When the kiss ended, Dralis straightened up and wiped her mouth. She took a device off her belt and held it up, speaking into it. Pause, Field. I wouldn't want to accidentally let us all get crushed while I'm relishing my victory, would I? Mm. Yes, it seems Mr. Thornfield here would rather rule by my side than serve under the devil he knows. I can't say I blame him, choosing a gorgeous interstellar warlord over a pimply presidential wannabe. All that remains, of course, is for him to prove his loyalty by killing you all. Sounds like fun, no? My pleasure. Oh, yes. Except you, Keen. Get up. Thank you, mistress. Keen's been working for me, darling. Sneaky little turncoat that she is. But, Keen, you told me Thornfield was still a loyalist. I thought he was. I kept trying to test you, check your loyalties. But you never even remotely let on Did you want me to advertise? A lot of good that would have done the mistress. There's a reason you're not leading any important missions, Keen. But I... Keen! Respect your betters! Yes, mistress. And now, without further delay, the executions. Guards, keep Max honest, won't you? Yes, mistress. Dralis took a pistol from the nearest guard and held it up to Max, barrel-facing him. As he took it, half the troops present trained their sights on him. He smirked and grasped the gun by the handle, his finger on the trigger, and walked towards his teammates. He stopped before them, towering over Crisp, who was lying on his stomach. He aimed the gun at Crisp's head and paused. He reached into his shirt and pulled Dralis's locket off his neck, holding it over his head. I swear allegiance on this locket to my beloved mistress, and I pledge to destroy all her enemies from this day forth 
So help me God. Well said. Now, kill them. I'm sorry, Crisp. It's no problem. I understand. Rather than pulling the trigger, Max brought down the locket towards Crisp's head. Dralis's eyebrow rose, but even she was unable to notice Max's minor glamour vanishing, transforming the locket into the spell pouch it really was. As the pouch struck Crisp on the back of the head, a flash began inside his body and grew, enveloping the entire area, all of Washington and most of the world. When the light faded and everyone's vision returned, Crisp was gone, as was every single member of Dralis's army. Their unheld weapons and empty armor clattered to the ground all around them. What's going Max spun on his heels and shot Keen in the head with the pistol and turned to face Dralis as the traitor's groaning body collapsed an empty corpse. Dralis's eyes were wider than Max had ever seen them, even when they were children. Dralis fumbled for the field control device and Max fired the pistol again, shooting her hand and the device out of existence. It's over, Dralis. You're finished. What should you do? Just a little spell Alyssa gave me. Takes a person completely out of existence. I thought to use it on you in case of our defeat. At least free the Earth from you, specifically, if not your empire. Then I remembered that our good friend Crisp and all your troops were the exact same person. So I used it on them. You can't defeat me that easily. The field You stopped the field. But it's still surrounding the planet. Without me, you can't remove it. You'll be trapped here, on Earth, forever. Eh, we'll be okay. I'm sure we'll figure a way out someday. Until then, at least we're safe from dictators like you. Max! No, wait! We've... We've been through so much together, please! Mr. President, what's the punishment for treason in this country? The death penalty? That's what I thought. Max twitched his trigger finger one last time and removed Dralis from the world of the living. The others were slowly getting up from the ground. Max's shoulders slumped and he threw the pistol down on the ground. He closed his eyes and listened to the momentary silence. The others slowly gathered around, looking down at what was left of the great enemy. So Keen was on her side the whole time? Who knows when she turned. Could have been any time. But some things she did are starting to make more sense now. I'm sure the other Founding Fathers greatly appreciate what you've done here today, Max. You've saved your country. Your entire world. Not me. All of us. Molly. Slatter. Crisp. Poor Crisp. And all the others along the way. Alyssa. Stelloff. Fertress. All the Catmen. And Julie. None of us will ever forget Julie. But regardless, without you- Without me, you still would have found a way, Mr. President. Now that Dralis is gone, you can take your rightful place as leader of your country, sitting at the head of the free world. Gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'd be honored if you would serve as my- No, no, thank you. I'm done. I just want to... relax. There are things I've been putting off for far too long. Well, you know how an occupying army seems to eat up all your time. Yes, sir. If you could excuse me for a second? Oh, uh, sure. Max looked around and then headed up the stairs into the Jefferson Memorial, where Molly had slipped off to. She stood below Jefferson, gazing up at him, and Max joined her, his arm brushing up against hers. Hi there. Hi. I just, uh, wanted to say... Yeah. I, uh, I love you too. 
The duo stood looking at Jefferson for a minute more before a smile slowly crept across Molly's lips. They turned to face one another and fell into each other's arms, their lips coming together again in the kiss that began the rest of their lives. The end. In that episode of Epic Echoes, the Backwards series, Guinevere Eckert played the narrator, Nicholas Roach played Max Thornfield, Angela Tymon played Dralis, Jordan D. White played Crisp and the Troops, Devon White played Molly, Lynn Nelson played Slaughter, Tong Wen Wong played Keen, and Daniel Schwartz played Jimmy Kovacs. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Card Mikowski. All right, well, that just about wraps things up for our very first episode of Cast and Wax. I would like to thank everybody for being here. Thank you very much, Rory. You're very welcome. Not a problem in the slightest. Thank you, Frank. Yes, it's my pleasure for now to be here. Thank you, Scapey. Thank you, Dad. Thanks to Devin for being here for the interview, and uh, thanks to you for listening. Again, we should be podcasting every Monday, hopefully, with new episodes of things. It won't be the same shows every time. Next next time, we'll have some of the shows going on to their second episodes, but other shows will be being started, and the shows will be interspersed thereafter. And now to see us out, we will hear the rest of the song... The Waxwork theme are Revitalized, which also began the show. Hopefully you'll enjoy that as well. And thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends to subscribe. You can come to Waxwork.com for more information. That's W-A-X hyphen W-O-R-K.com. And have a great night or morning, wherever you happen to be in time. Thank you very much. I'm Jordan D. White. Be seen. My personality was downloaded and backed up Implants implanted so my reflexes are jacked up Made sure to spring for a lifetime warranty So parts and labor are free in case I ever start to act up Packed full of isotope run up nuclear power And fuel injected running 60 miles an hour With sonic generators under my skin Destroying dirt from within so I don't ever have to shower I feel revitalized, performance optimized, perfection realized Upgrades will improvise, but now I'm stigmatized for being time on Cast and Wax. On guard duty, the Stallion and Broadband argue over the team's leadership. When you're a member of the Earth Guard, the team comes first. Perhaps you've forgotten that without Stanton Enterprises, there is no Earth Guard. In Epic Echoes, the flashback arrives at the scene of their final showdown. 
That's the White House, Crisp. There's only one? No, Crisp. There are many White Houses. There's just one White House. Is that Zen? In the premiere of Decker and Hayes, the lesbian detective radio serial, the duo gets a case that might not be all that it seems. Give me a break. You're just a sucker for a batted eye. Trust me, I know, since I'm usually the one batting. Yeah, well, this time you struck out. Very funny, bonehead. Plus the premiere of Debatatorium 2006, solving all of Earth's problems one debate at a time. Before you debate your own backgrounds, let's get to the actual topic, whether or not the war in Iraq is a good idea or a bad idea. All this and more in Episode 2 of Cast and Wax, coming April 7th to Waxwork.com.